Alright, so uh, look, this evening is uh, February 20th. It is 2013. If you saw me run out of the service, every once in a while the Holy Ghost will speak to you something very practically. Today he said it is your mother's birthday. Call her. So I sprinted from the service and called my mother. Y'all give me an amen? The Richter scale told me there was an earthquake and I am trying to head off the tsunami. I'll run the wave to the coast. Listen, we're going to start today in Genesis 12. Our message will come from this and will be the direction of flow. Tell me when you're in Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. It's an interesting thing. You don't have to read it, but Joshua 24, the second verse, says that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idolater. It doesn't matter why the Lord says to leave, but it's really nice when the scripture sheds light on it, isn't it? You know, there's all kinds of stories about Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and Jewish tradition. But all of them involve Terah being an idolater. Abraham got a revelation that it was wrong. And the Lord tells him, leave your country, leave your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. His location is going to change. The people he identifies with is going to change. Even what he will spend the rest of his life doing, his occupation, will change. This is the Bible story. It is about the holistic change in a human being's life. You were called from darkness of Ur of Chaldees, from slavery of Egypt, from the darkness and chaos of the creation, right into the light of the kingdom of God. Everything about you must change. The location is no longer where you have chosen to be. It's where God shows you you should be. Your identification is no longer based on your ethnicity, no longer based on your political affiliation, no longer based on your geography. Your identification is whatever he says your identification is. In this case, he chose this man to move as a nomadic alien and wanderer who was searching for a city whose architect and builder was God. And he chooses our occupation. In the biblical story, God starts with a single man and he makes him a promise. This promise is, I'm going to change everything about you. And from you, I will bless every person on the planet. Come on, say every person. Every person. What an amazing concept that one man could have an effect on the world. But can you honestly say that Abraham has not touched every area of the globe? He really has. And look at why God said he chose him. Turn to Genesis 18. In the 19th verse. For I have chosen him. The antecedent to the pronoun him is Abram. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. If you're going to change the entire world, where are we going to start? We're going to change a man's location. We're going to change a man's identification. We're going to change his occupation. In other words, we're going to turn his life upside down for the glory of God. And then we're going to...
reach his children and his household. What a strange thing. You know, in our day, we might have a 3D movie and try to create a movement. Did anybody see that Coney 2012? It was a movement to get an African dictator, a terrorist. You might start a social cause of some kind. We could have a pink ribbon to fight cancer. I'm not sure what the ribbon has done for cancer. I know that Jesus is still in the cancer-crushing business. I'm not disparaging any of those things. I'm telling you that God's chosen instrument starts with one man and one family. One life that is so turned upside down for the glory of God that he's abandoned all security. That he's abandoned all that a man might normally crave. We say God, family, uh, maybe job when we put American ideals in order. And our God says to us, nothing comes before me. I am telling you that you will live where I tell you to live. Your family will be who I say your family will be. And you will spend your life doing what I tell you to do. Or you cannot be in my kingdom. He's Lord of all friends or he's Lord of none. But listen to this blessing. If you think about it, it means that if a man was chosen by God, and he's obedient to God as he directs his children, as he directs his household. And listen to the phrase. It says, his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. In other words, I need you to teach your children in the same manner that you are walking. After him indicates that they could look and see the way that he was following the Lord. And they would follow quite literally in his footsteps. Later, the descendants of Abraham were told to impress the, these words of the covenant upon your children as you walk along the road, as you lie down, as you get up, as you go in and out of your cities, a very daily event. Do you mean to tell me that if God changed a man's life and that man started with the members of his own household, children, and then relatives, that it could have an impact on the world? It's had such an impact on our country that you can't even imagine. Our entire legal system is based on something that God told Abraham's descendants 400 years after this statement. Because they were still walking in the way of Abraham. The gospel power starts with one changed life. And it builds on that changed life. In our sage on a stage environment, we lift up a hero. We all say, oh, that hero is wonderful. We ignore what his children think about him. We ignore what his household is. We accept the most foolish garbage on the planet because a man speaks well, or swings a golf club well, or tackles well, or throws a football well. When God wants to change the world, he starts with one man who will simply go where he says, identify with who he says, and do what he says, and will teach his children to do the same. If you're listening and you have the ears of the Spirit this evening, what you'll hear is that you have the ability to make an impact on the world simply by starting with your family. Yeah. Oh, you could make something negative out of it. I hear it a lot, Pastor. Man, that word that you gave was hard. It's because you don't read your Bibles. The words that I give are not nearly as hard as the words that Jesus has given. I hope one day to be able to rise to the level of rebuke that Jesus gave with every breath. Or 
are not hard. They're the most basic Christian living you can find. It's just when you're surrounded by namby-pamby, milk-sop Christianity, this ridiculous thing that is fishing for funds, it sounds hard. If you compare black with gray, it looks dark. Of course, black is not to be compared with gray. Things are either hot or cold. They are not lukewarm in the kingdom. Amen. I want to encourage you, saints. Adjust your hearts. Adjust your minds. Learn to say thank you if you've got a hard word. It might save your life. Amen. One life, one family, one nation, one man changes the world. Let us look at Genesis 9 and see how these things are deposited in us. As we look at Genesis 9, you need to know that God was so displeased with mankind that Genesis 6 said his heart was filled with pain. The Hebrew word for heart is lieb. It means in the very center of who God is. Not in some beating organ made to circulate blood. In the very center of his being. He was filled with pain. Overlooking at man's wickedness. So he wiped out all life on the planet save eight people. And why those eight people? We know nothing of Ham, Shem, and Japheth before the flood. We know nothing of their wives, not even their names. We simply know that there was one man named Noah who would be where God said to be, who would identify with who God said to identify with, and who would do what God said to do. And he spent years of his life, century, doing what God said to do. That made his family worth saving. Oh, come on, are you hearing me, heads of household here tonight? You said, my children aren't living right, and I don't know what to do. Take responsibility for it. You know, I just, I don't know what to do. It's, I tried to take them to Sunday school. Sunday school's job was never to teach your children. Your job is to teach your children. One man working with his family, and Noah saved the human race. So eight people get off of the ark. Now we're into the next generation. And like so many, the sons of Noah have a choice in how they will react to the teaching and ways of their father. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his mind and found out what is... wonder how grape juice does that. When Noah awoke from his mind and found out what his youngest son had done to him, you ever wondered why it was his youngest son? His youngest son had spent the least time walking in the ways of his father. His youngest son was the most impressionable. His youngest son was the least responsible and therefore the most opportune target. Our enemy is a coward. He doesn't just come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is looking for the weak. He's looking for the straggler. He's looking for the one that does not know the word of God. You ever watch the National Geographic? It's not the healthy water buffalo that is at risk. It's the weak. It's the straggler. Oh, it's not that a lion's not a match for a water buffalo. It's why fight with the healthy if you can find so many that are pitifully emaciated? So many that are weak. So many that are easy targets. I'm telling you, church, we need to learn to make ourselves a more difficult target. 
When I was in the security business, people were so funny. They wanted motion detectors that focused at their ceilings. They wanted every window covered. They wanted glass break detectors, all to protect their big screen TV or whatever they had gathered that thought it was worth. And it's as if they'd been watching international jewel thieves move through their neighborhood or something. <laughs> I was a salesman. I was supposed to sell them all that and more. Brent, you know what I'm talking about. But I couldn't help it. I'd sit down and I'd say, Mr. Piro, I don't know if you understand this or not, but your goal is not to make your house an impenetrable fortress. You just need to make it a less appealing target than your neighbor's house. <laughs> then, of course, I could go to Mr. Piro's neighbor, the Williams, and say, have you seen the Matthew got a security system? His house is now a less appealing target than your house. If you were a thief and you could choose between these two, which house would you choose? Then I could go to the Hutchinson's house. So I never made anybody's house an unpenetrable fortress. We just made a least likely target. Learning the word of God does not make it so that you can never fall. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to do that. But learning the word does make you a less appealing target. Amen. It's a good place to start, friends. Yeah. If you have whole books of the Bible that you're unfamiliar with, it's time to grow up in your salvation. You should have surpassed that in the first 30 days you were saved. If I can name chapters of the Bible that you have never heard of, something is wrong with your appetite. We need to get this corrected. Then we won't be complaining that somebody gave a hard word on a Sunday. That's right. We'll be saying, thank you, God, that Ezekiel is not in our midst. Lord, I praise you that Elijah is standing next to you, because if he were here, my seat would be on fire. <laughs> in Genesis 9, it says, When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be. To his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord of God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. This may seem like just a random statement. Noah got angry with Canaan. By the way, have you noticed that it was Ham who sinned in Canaan that bears the reproach for it? You need to know, heads of household. Whatever you do, your family will have consequence for. You can leave them a legacy of righteousness, or you can leave them a legacy that makes them want someone else's last name. I applied for my very first apartment in the early 90s when dinosaurs were roaming the earth. <laughs> and at 18 years old, they told me that my credit score was terrible. I said, how can that be? I haven't been able to sign a legal contract, but for three days... They said, well, apparently in the 80s, you really did some people wrong at Merrill Lynch. I said, in the 80s, I was five. What are you talking about? I found out someone had left me a bad name. Ham's sin followed his descendants. Listen to how God calls this out. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem in Hebrew means the name. And when an uh, Orthodox Jew wants to speak, of, of Adam, the amazing, 
Almighty God. He says, Baruch uh, Hashem. Blessed be the name. This means the name of God. And in his name is his reputation, his character, his authority. A name's not just syllables to be pronounced. It has to do with who he is. This scripture says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of the name, the God of Shem. May Canaan be his slave. There will be a day, friends, when everyone who is yielded to sin will be shown to be a slave of sin. And everyone who has been baptized into the very name and nature of God will be free from sin. Amen. This prophecy over humanity here, the remaining three sons of Noah, tells us something about how God moves. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. Interestingly enough, Japheth means widespread. And Japheth has to do in the Bible with the thinking center, the mind, will, and emotions. The descendants of Japheth gave us most of the inventions in the world. The descendants of Shem gave us the religions of the world. And the descendants of Ham built the military structure of the world and the Roman Empire. And this scripture teaches us that there would be a blessing given to Shem. This represents your spirit in your life. There's a moment in your life when somewhere deep inside you, the truth cried out to the truth. And you knew something needed to be changed. But a battle ensued. Something had been so widespread in you that you didn't know what to do. It was your own thinking, your own emotions, your own rebellion to God. This is what the Bible refers to as your soul. But God prophesied that there would be a day when your mind, will, and emotions would be brought into the dwelling of your spirit. Then he goes on to say in the next verse. That's not the next verse. <laughs> may God extend the territory of Japheth and may Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his slave. Our goal in our Christian walk was to let something settle into our spirit, to drag our mind, will, and emotions into the truth that God revealed to our spirit, and then to force our flesh to carry it out. Just as God would change the world with one man who did what God said, identified where God said to identify, someone who lived where God said to live. So he changes one man by depositing a revelation that the kingdom was built on. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Lord. And that changes everything. It changes the way you think, Spencer. It changes the way you govern your emotions rather than your emotions governing you. It changes what you do with your body. Suddenly, we have your spirit and your soul ganging up to tell your flesh what to do. Instead of your flesh reacting to the environment around you, compelling your emotions to tell your spirit what to do. When God wants to change a man, it starts with a revelation of who God is, His holiness, His righteousness, and a desire for that. Then God meets that man in a very spiritual way. It doesn't come just through preaching. In fact, very little can be done with preaching. It doesn't come just through worship. It has to come. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. His Spirit touches you in a way that changes your thoughts, changes your actions. So the whole man begins to change. We have one life, one family, 
in one nation. He changes the center of you that is life. He changes where you live, and he changes the way you relate to the rest of the world. So many Christians are walking around proclaiming a spiritual change that cannot be seen on the outside anywhere. This is not Christianity. Let me talk to you about the community of the Lord. Go with me to Genesis 28. Let me ask you just a question. This is a question I intend for you to answer. So we'll give it, we'll give it to a person. Cody, how do you feel about Judah? Tell the truth now. I love him. You love him. Were y'all born to the same woman? Do you have the same father? No. Why do you love him? He's my brother. Why is he your brother? See, something happens when Cody's born again. When Judah is born again. The same revelation gets deposited in their hearts. It begins to work through their mind, will, and emotions. Begins to show up in their actions. And the scripture begins to say that they have all things in common. Amen. Our king is still working through the same family that he has always worked through. It is just now the royal blood rather than the ethnic blood of the Jewish race. When we look at the 28th chapter of Genesis, we see in the first verse. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take for yourself a wife there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, Elohim El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. A community of peoples, friends, is not just a membership. It's not just a common policy. Where was the man supposed to marry? He was supposed to marry within the family. That seems strange by modern standards, doesn't it? Yes. It really does. But if you are the one family on the planet that has received that spiritual revelation, this is the only way to ensure that your heart is not completely wrapped up in something that's foreign to God. Oh, how many people would have saved themselves many griefs if they had just not married outside the family of God. How many people have pierced themselves with many griefs because they allowed themselves to become attached to something God said you may not be attached to. Oh, there ought to be an amen for that. Amen. Look, it put Jerry Springer out of business if people understood this verse. <laughs> A community of peoples. The plan of God was always to start with one man. And from that one man to raise up families of believers. Men and women who would teach their children what was right. Men and women who would direct their households. Men and women who would change the world through God's method and God's means. The new church is always looking for a new program. Always looking for some new scheme. And it has always been the same. It takes one man to be radically revolutionized by the power of the Holy Spirit and to demonstrate it to those closest to him first. Let me ask you, what does it mean when we say, well, that man, that, you know, that one's a preacher's kid. And what follows that is a negative stereotype. Have you ever wondered what that means? 
You may think, oh, it means there's bad preachers. It means that congregations are putting up with men who are not qualified to be pastors. That's what it means. Every ministry qualification in the scripture, every single one, has nothing to do with fundraising. Has nothing to do with how you have grown the church. It has nothing to do with your image. Do you look like Ken and Barbie and do you speak like the Greek gods? It has everything to do with whether or not you can direct your own household. How far are we fallen? Now we choose pastors by committees and resumes. Really, all you need to do is spend a weekend with them. Maybe it's going to send in the church on a special retreat. You should just go hang out at your pastor's house for a little while. Community of peoples. Look at Exodus 12. Say there when you're there. Come on now. Don't say nobody got there. Exodus 12, look at verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that one tenth, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb. Tell the whole community of what? Israel. Friends, if you're following this scripture, what we have seen is we've seen that one man became a community of peoples, families, and now is a nation. 400 years passed and we went from one man to a nation of believers. A nation who was delivered in a single day from bondage. A nation that was baptized in the Red Sea. A nation that followed God's presence by fire and by a cloud. A nation that knew what it was to hear God speak from the heavens. Do you really think he's after something different today? No. And we've had 2,000 years to do it. <coughs> not. 400 years from Abraham to the Exodus. And they did. We talk about Israel's failure. They didn't fail to become the nation, God said. They didn't fail to bless you. You're holding a book in your hands that is a testimony to the fact that God succeeded in His promise. Why do you think in 2,000 years we have not affected the whole world? Could it be that we haven't started with our own faithfulness? Could it be that maybe in all of our wisdom we're trying to work God's fields with a combine? Rather than simply work the soil of our own households and let it flow outward organically. I'm constantly told as a pastor, if you just did this, your church would grow. If you just do this, I mean it would. And, and, and they don't understand. I'm not interested in that. This is bigger than I ever thought we would get. And this is Wednesday night. <laughs> Sunday morning is definitely bigger than I ever thought we would get. And I'm not about to hold God back. His word says he'll do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. I can tell you I didn't ask for or imagine this. Amen. I would have been perfectly happy facing down cannibals somewhere. That was my goal when I got born again. But it just turns out that when you love your wife, when one man stays married to one woman all of his life, when you teach your children, not on Sundays or Wednesdays, but every day, it has an effect on the world. How many of you have been to my home? Look at that. I'm not going to name any churches, but let's just say there was one called Six Flags over Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. It was a giant fun center. You know, a factory for Christian confectionaries. If we asked this same question, how many hands would go up? Do you think maybe we've departed from the biblical model? 
Look at Deuteronomy 23 with me. In Deuteronomy 23, starting in the first verse, no one, yeah, let's start in the uh, first verse. <laughs> no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the what? It's an amazing thing. This word assembly is quahal in Hebrew. Quahal, when translated into Greek, is ecclesia. This is where we get the modern word in English, church. It doesn't just mean those who have like interest. It doesn't mean those who have assembled for fun. It doesn't mean that. It means those who were called out of somewhere. And their location is now where God has said it would be. And their identification is what God said it would be. And their occupation is what God said it would be. This was the only way to make it into the Paul assembly of the Lord. The ecclesia of Theos, the, the church of God. Did you know that that term is only used three times in the New Testament? The assembly of God or the church of God. Paul used it all three times. And in every case, you can follow his train of thought right back to what we're talking about. Our God starts with a life. He builds a family. He joins families together and they become a community. And you know what they have in common? In the very center of their spirit, they got a revelation that so invaded the rest of their mind, will, and emotions, it has shown up in their actions to the extent that they live where God said to live. They identify with those that God said to identify with and they are doing the work of God. Today, we call it a church if everybody likes music. We call it a church if everybody can agree that that brother sure does speak nice. Our politicians speak nice. Do you want them for pastors? No. And yet that's pretty well what we have across the United States, isn't it? When's the last time you heard a truly controversial sermon? The last time that you heard somebody stray from 14 points agreed upon a few hundred years ago, and now we have to tell you in a new and exciting way. I tell you, the church of the living God is revolutionary. It is amazing. It is radical. It's anything but predictable. Do you think that Abraham's parents understood that he was going to leave the family business, leave her of the Chaldees, and couldn't even tell him where he was going? How do you think the plan to take Isaac up onto the mountain of Moriah kicked it off with all of the relatives? I mean, you truly have to have a revelation in your inner man that had so consumed the rest of your life to even understand something like that. Maybe this is why the church sits around and argues whether or not God would beat his bride or crucify his son. And we have such ridiculous theories about eschatology in any times. We have so failed to read our word. I hope for such better things from us. When I look out, I know all of you. I, I see a guest, but I even know him. And I know him by his reputation. The assembly of the Lord is supposed to be intimate. It is supposed to be personal. In a generation where we're more comfortable posting our thoughts on Facebook than walking across our living room and talking to our families, we need to be reminded of this. 
Jesus is Lord of all of us. All of us holistically. And that brings us into the community of God. We started with a community of peoples. Then it was called community of Israel. Then community of Yahweh. There is a, a natural growing process that what started in Rick Lahan also affects Susan and also affects Egypt. And you say, well, I don't see it finished yet. Yeah, it hadn't finished in the creation yet either, but it started in Rick. And his family will follow his lead, I promise. If he is unrelenting in his pursuit of God, they will take naturally to that even as gravity is natural. You know, Charlie, today in Houston you can get what's called a no-fault divorce. I wonder what God would think about a term like that. Which raises the question, if there's not a no-fault divorce, who's at fault in a divorce? Who's not at fault in a divorce, friends? A covenant is two parties. Who is not at fault? Oh, you don't preach about these things because we have a nation full of divorced people. If we could simply learn that sin causes misery and righteousness causes blessing and want to live and act and move in a community of believers, you would so safeguard your life. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul uses the term church of God to the church of God in Corinth to hear these words coming from an apostle. What this would symbolize to a people who were foreigners to the covenant. They had never been included in Abraham. They were not ethnically of the right group. <coughs> to hear the words to the church of God in Corinth. It would mean that men living in Corinth outside of the covenant of God were now being invited in. And what called them the church of God? What qualified them to be in the church of God? That revelation had so permeated their life that it showed up in their very actions. That's who the letter was written to. Were they a troubled church? <laughs> Just as troubled as the rest of us. Blessed in every way, with every spiritual blessing, the first chapter says. And yet there were lawsuits. There was sexual immorality. There was disorder in the service. It's amazing what the Lord will allow into his community if the person is willing to start with a revelation that invades your mind, will, and emotions and show up in your action. He tells you to aim for perfection and he expects it. But he gives you grace when you're falling short in your aims. This has been twisted into a license for immorality. It's been twisted into the satanic idea that you can be a part of the church of God and never aim for holiness. It's simply be lip service. I'm here to tell you it's not true. God will not bless it. So we preach horror. And sometimes I endure a few complaints over it. In every service that this happens though, every single one, you know that there's as many people that come and say, man, that was a good word. Is there were people that didn't like it? It is almost like it could be a separation of sheep and goats. Huh? <laughs> the winnowing fork is in his hands. Cassie, what is that proverb that your children so love? He who hates correction is what? I think that's not the 11th chapter, and I don't think it's the 13th chapter. That must be Proverbs 12, 1. How would I know something like that? We 
love the Word of God if it is correcting our thoughts and the motives behind our thoughts. Don't we? Somebody say amen. 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 In Acts 20, verse 28, there's a phrase, the overseers of the church of God. I just wanted to tell you that the church is a community that is really a family. It has an organized leadership structure. It has a divine purpose. It's not membership. It's not political ideology. Instead, these are people whose location, identification, and occupation have been chosen by God, and they're walking in obedience to that. Examine yourself for a minute so that you don't come under judgment. Are you living in the place God told you to live? Are you identifying with the people of God or with the world? Are your likes what the world likes or what the church likes? Are your hobbies the world's hobbies or the church's hobbies? And your occupation. What are you spending your life trying to accomplish? And does your action match up to your rhetoric? I hear men all the time say, I love my family more than anything. But their actions show they love dear honey more than anything. I see it all of the time. I want you to know in that day, friends, earth and sky will flee from His presence. Please don't think that our pathetic excuses will hold water with Him. Let us get this right now. We have two things to cover before we get to the meat of the issue, okay? As we talk about a community, as we talk about people who are so filled with God's Spirit that it's actually showing up in their daily lives, then we're talking about the church. And we have a responsibility to the church, to the community of God. Look at Deuteronomy 12 with me. In Deuteronomy 12, let me start in the 8th verse. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit. I think you heard a sermon about that Sunday. Some of you thought it was harsh. I think you know what I think about that now. <laughs> you are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit. Since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts. And all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons, your daughters, your men servants and your maidservants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. And there observe everything that I command you. Americans have something that I would call toxic independence. As soon as you correct someone, they say, I can serve God anywhere. This is not what the scripture teaches. You cannot serve God anywhere. Let's qualify it for a little while. It is, it's fun. I know Americans love word games. Yes, you can serve God anywhere, but the anywhere that you stand must be the place that he chose. And it doesn't matter where it is, as long as it's the place that he chose. They had no idea the place. No, they didn't know it would be one of 12 tribes. And in each of those 12 tribes, there are many cities. They had no idea. It could have been anywhere. 
except when he said there, it was the only place that they could go and bring their offerings and serve the Lord the way that they serve the Lord. So yes, you can serve God anywhere until he tells you there. And then any place other than there is sin. Oh, I just have to tell you, every time we have seen biblical church correction, you hear the same thing. I just go to church over there. You go do that. Have a good time. Might warn them what you are when you get there. I just wanted to tell you, there is a place that the Bible calls there. And when you are there, there's provision of the Lord. There's joy of the Lord. There's empowerment from the Spirit. And there may not look like over there. It might even look like right here. And that's okay. Our job is not spiritually to compete with the Joneses. It's to be in the location God called us to be in. Amen. Identifying with the people God called us to identify with. That's right. Doing what God called us to do. Amen. Toxic independence is sending people to hell. How do you know how toxic it is? Drive down Eldridge and count the churches. Oh, if you include the ones that are not really churches, like the Mormons. If you include the ones that are not really Christians, like the Jehovah's Witness. I bet we have 20 different kinds of churches on Eldridge Road alone in an eight-mile stretch. How toxically independent is that? What if Abraham had done that? What if his descendants had not taught their children and not taught their households after them, and for 400 years they simply fragmented in every direction? I bet we would have no Bible in our hands. It was their unity around a common purpose. It was their unity around a common covenant. It was their unity around a familial connection that has caused them to survive every world empire. Hey, is Latin spoken today? Oh, it's a dead language from a dead people. They ruled the world for a while. Hebrew is spoken today. They say that destroying a language, destroying a border, and destroying a religion are the way to wipe the people off the face of the earth. How many nations have tried with Israel? And they all failed. There's a peculiar people who do not keep your customs, okay? <laughs> Amen. And I want to be a peculiar people who will not keep the customs of this land. Amen. I want to be distinct in every way. I want to identify with you as you do the very same thing. Look at your brother and say, it's okay if you're weak. <laughs> We're supposed to be friends. Who lied to you and told you that all the people who love Britney Spears are supposed to love you? Who lied to you and told you that the latest blockbuster facts are required of you? must be that guy who's trying to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. Amen. Toxic independence is not the only problem. Let us cover one other. This will be in the 13th chapter. If a prophet or someone who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if that sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Did you catch that? If what he said takes place, but is advocating another God. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him and him with all your heart, with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. 
Keep his commandments and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death. They preached rebellion against the Lord. I thought if a prophet said something and it didn't come to pass, we had a problem. Deuteronomy 13 actually teaches something different. You need to mark it. Think about it. If what he's saying is absolutely coming to pass, if he's working miracles and foretelling the future by dreams, but he advocates something other than the way that God has revealed, God is testing you to see whether you love him or love the prophet. How many people have been led astray, not from toxic independence, but from a toxic dependence? See, when God forms a community, the community is defined by a revelation that so permeates their lives, it's demonstrated in their own homes. They love God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and you can see it. You can feel it. The fruit is everywhere. The first fruit that you see are their children walking around. The next fruit that you see is their reputation in the community. The next fruit that you see is that salvation is accompanying them everywhere. The next fruit that you see is that the kingdom is at hand wherever they are. Of course, if we just choose people who speak well, then you might stand before the king and say, I don't know, he's just doing what that man told me. How many people have said, I don't know, that guy preaches from the same book you preach from? Friends, he could do miracles. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that last book in the Bible, the 66th one, that everybody puts an S on and has no S in it, I'm pretty sure that that, that book actually says that they will do counterfeit miracles. And to see even the elect, if it were possible, Matthew 24 said, your dependence is not upon a man, it's upon the Lord. And the Lord works through the community that He puts you in. And in that community, their word is the word of the Lord. So then the question comes, am I in the location God called me to be in? Am I identifying with the people that God called me to identify with? And am I doing what God called me to do? Oh, I'm not fighting to retain a church tonight. In fact, I told you, I'm going to start a problem and then leave for India. I'll let the elders clean it up. I'm fighting for you to be able to identify God's will in your life clearly. To remove the lie that says I must be entertained. The lie that says I can go anywhere I want and call it God. The lie that says I am independent from the authority of others because I'm free in Christ. No apostle practiced such independence. When Paul got his revelation, he took it to the pillars in the church. When he completed his work in his missionary journeys, he came back and reported to those who were in Jerusalem. Those in Jerusalem told him to do things that proved the sincerity of his faith. And he took a Nazarite vow to dispel rumors that were not true about him. These men all operated under authority. Rebellion is of the devil. The problem is there have been too many preachers that acted like wise fathers in congregations that they thought were stupid children. And their word was beyond contestation. They might even speak ex cathedra until they retire. Friends, you have an obligation. It's like a military obligation. Anybody in here was in the military? Raise your hand. Fred, you and I have been on the USS Kid. You knew more about it than any other man I had ever been around. And it's because he spent years on a ship just like that. I, I want to see if anybody recognizes this. 
I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Who gets to take that oath? Soldiers do. Officers do. This goes all the way up to the Commander-in-Chief takes an oath very similar to this. What happens, friends, if an officer that outranks you tells you to do something that is illegal? If you do it, what happens to you? You are in trouble. You shoot a baby, you're in trouble even if your officer told you to do it. We do not depend on our leaders apart from the Lord. We depend upon our leaders in the Lord. Here's how that looks. You have a way that has been revealed to you. It is contained in your word. You know that word. And your leaders should be instructing you according to that word. And as long as what they're saying lines up with the word, you really don't have an opinion in the matter. But if what they're saying does not line up with the word, it is your duty. You're a criminal if you do not rebel against what they're saying. Now you tell me the truth. When churches move their letters, when people hop from one place to another, is this the basis for their moving? No. We will drive across town to get our hair cut somewhere that hides our bald spot. But we're going to go to church wherever's closest to our home. No matter what God's revealing to us. We need to wake up, America. This is not a religion of convenience. It's a religion of sacrifice. For some of you with the church that you date, you'd like to run off with us, but you don't want your decent friends to know about us. It's okay. I'm used to that. That's how we started. They said, I am so proud of what God is doing here. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm excited. I was doing it before you got here. I'll be doing it after you're gone from here. I'll be doing it until my last breath on the earth. And most of you have embraced it with all of your heart and your lives are bearing fruit. This is a Wednesday night crowd. It's among those who are most sold out. I want to tell you how you do it for the rest of your life in any work. Is that fair? Yeah. Have you been warned about ministry burnout? <laughs> and how do you burn something out, right? You just pour and pour and pour and it, it just burns out, right? Isn't that what we're told? I mean, you put so much heat to it that it just burns that element up, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking. I mean, be careful. You'll burn yourself out. I don't know. I've been being told that for 20 years. I need to pace myself. Maybe you could start with me in Acts 1. Let's again look at the beginning of the church history. Is that fair? <laughs> Would you rather I give you a pep rally? No. I mean, I could... Go get some donuts and gift certificates. We have a church chicken camp like that idiot did in Rosenberg. I mean, you'd be entertained. I don't know what it would do for you in eternity, but you'd be entertained now. We'd have a wife carrying a contest. Yeah. A church advertisement. You need to come be a part of us. We, we have a wife carrying contest. That's probably all I need to say about that. 
In Acts 1, here comes the fourth verse. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think that ends all of the arguments about whether or not there are two baptisms, doesn't it? Are we, are we to suppose that these men were not believers who had seen Jesus crucified, who had touched his resurrected body? Are we to presume that they're not believers? So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's an amazing question. Men always have their mind. On what we have our mind on. Listen to Jesus' answer. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you guys that have not stood in Israel, many of you have, Sharon has, you tell me, Sharon, Jerusalem and Judea, which one would be closer to the place they're standing? standing in Jerusalem. If you're standing in Jerusalem, the next province, Jerusalem, then where? Judea, Judea then where? Samaria, then where? The ends of the earth. It sounds like there is a direction that God has been working. He started in the spirit of a man and moved to his mind, will, and emotions and all the way out to his flesh. And when that man was so thoroughly changed that it could be seen, he said, direct your children and your household to follow you in the same way that you are following me. And then when that household was so moving with the presence of God, they became a community of peoples. And then they became the community of Israel, a nation. And then they became the community of the Lord globally around the world. It all started somewhere, though. The center of you is like the Jerusalem. And that direction needs to always be flowing out. You'll receive power to do what? Be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You'll receive power for what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the ends of the earth. I would like to tell you, even as God started with one man and his family as ground zero and it would affect the earth, he is giving you the method to be empowered. You start where you are and it will grow outward and outward and outward. This is a prophetic message to a generation that is looking inward and inward and inward. We have made ourselves the goal of salvation. We have made ourselves the recipient of salvation, the blessing of salvation. Now we get saved to be bitter, bigger, better us's. When salvation was all about a change that occurs in you, for them, and the next guy, and the guy after that, forever. Christianity is centrifugal. And just like you put something in a centrifuge, and as it spins and spins and spins, things begin to separate, and those good things go out to the outer edges of the outer wall. The more you revolve around Christ, personally, it will show up in the way that you're affecting the people nearest you, and then a little further, 
and then a little further, and a little further. When I started doing with my wife in our living room on the night of our marriage, kneeling beside our bed and calling on the name of the Lord for a direction, for identification, for occupation. What we started that night, we're now doing states away and five continents away every year. Because when the Lord thoroughly touches a man, it shows up in the way that he works with his children, his household, his community, his state, his nation, and the world. Nowhere did it say Abraham was a talented man. Nowhere did it say Moses was a talented man. Nowhere do we read a list of the apostles' great attributes that was the reason that Jesus chose them. Instead, what we find out was they were men who got a revelation in the center of their being. It permeated their mind, their will, and emotions, and it showed up in their actions to the point you could kill their flesh, and they were okay. Friends, that changed the world. You can't go anywhere on the face of the earth anymore, and they don't know that we date our checks based on the appearance of Jesus. And how did the world hear about it? From 11 scared little Jewish boys that got a revelation in the center of their being and let it grow and touch the world. What can you not do? Look with me in Ephesians 3. Is that okay? Yeah. Just put it on the screen for us. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit. Where? In your inner being. Why in your inner being? Because that's the place to start. You cannot change a man from the outside in. It must be from the inside out. You cannot change a household from the outside in. It must be the inside out. You cannot change your community from the outside in. It must be the inside out. I love that missionaries think when we go to a place, we will overwhelm them with the presence of foreigners and we will show them the glory of God. Wrong. You introduce a man in his inner being to the revelation of who he is in Christ and when he so permeates his life that he wants to work with God, it'll change the landscape. At best, you introduce him to what changed you. Otherwise, we would just move populations around. Of course, many have tried it haven't they? One man authentically moved by the power of God can change the world. Start through your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Where do you get that? You should get it in your local church. Rooted and established in love. You may have power together with all the saints. I can serve God anywhere. He rooted you. He established you. Where? Together with the saints. If you're sitting next to somebody and you don't know their name, if you don't know their kids' names, if you don't know where they work, you got room for growth. I promise we can sit down. I know every person in the room's name, even our guests. Why? Because we are rooted together, established in love in Christ. It is not a church simply to show up in a seat somewhere and the pastor does not know you, you do not know him, and four rows over you have no idea what they're doing in life and don't care. Do you know that you couldn't be accepted into the early church if men did not know you? 
You addressed one church in the city because everybody in the city knew you and it was usually that you were hiding from the same authorities they were hiding from. Your character in Christ is everything. And today we just pick up and run down the road so that a man can leave his wife sitting in our church, go, go marry some person that they're adultery now and plug themselves into another church and just move on with no problem. If you think the church of the living God works that way, then you've made Jesus a jukebox or a slot machine. It doesn't work that way. It never has. The authority of God works through the structure that He instituted and He places you in it. Your responsibility is to Him and the leaders that He placed over you. You're actually supposed to make their work a joy. It'd be of no benefit, Hebrews 13 says, if it's not a joy. They're not there to dictate to you. They're not there to be in the place of God for you. It's just as wrong to expect a man to hear from God for you as it is to ignore him when he's heard from God for you. You're supposed to stand on your own two feet with no more papal links in the chain between you and the throne room of God. Every man is supposed to bear his own load and we are supposed to help each other bear that load. You have a personal responsibility to the Lord and you have a responsibility to the community around you. Do you care whether you have chairs to sit in? Whether there's wood in the foyer, lights on the ceiling? See, our toxic independence has made it so that the generosity of a very few people in the church can provide for everyone. It's supposed to be the sacrifice of everyone in the church. Then we can all glory in what God's done. Some of you just can sit back, cross your arms and say, the Lord did it, but it must have been through somebody else because I know it wasn't through me. You know, I never preach on tithing. But if I were going to preach about that, I'd probably get on a plane and go to India the next day. <laughs> Let me just tell you, friends, the work of God is based on obedience. It is. If you don't trust the vision that we have heard from the Lord, then you're on the wrong flight. But if you do trust it, you need to sacrificially support it. Because if you don't, then you're working for the end. Because he wants to stop what God called us to do. And by us, I mean this whole fellowship. And I say no in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we have to stand back and watch ravens line up outside our door, the Lord's will will be done. I talked to you about burnout. Look at Philippians 2, 17. <coughs> but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, who's this speaking? This is the Apostle Paul. I wonder if anyone warned him about but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. You mean that he could know his death was coming, be pouring his own life out like a drink offering and rejoice? Yes, because he was with them. His life was about more than his own independence. It was about what the Lord was building together with all of the saints. Peter said very, very similar things. You can find that in 2 Peter 1.12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body. It's almost as with their last words, they wanted to remind the community of believers 
about their responsibilities as a community. If this were an American, he'd say, I'm soon to, to go to the king, so I don't know what all you people are going to do, but I'm going to see Jesus. We even put it in our songs. I'm going to see the king. I mean, it's all I, I, I. When the Bible's all about community. It's how Spencer relates to Mario. It's how Mario relates to JJ. It's how the Vincent's family impacts the cooks. It's how we serve Jesus together. Amen. You know why the early church met house to house? It's how you get to know each other. They also met in rented buildings because apparently they didn't all fit in a house, which is exactly what's happened to us. But as our buildings get bigger and our stages get higher and our sound systems get louder, and by the way, even though I built these things with my own two hands and the help of a community, I hate them all. I'd whole lot rather be preaching in dirt talking to you under a thatched roof. You don't believe me? Go look at my travel schedule last year. All of these things may be necessary, but they do not make a church. What makes a church is how you relate to each other in the Lord. That makes a church. You show me a, a pile of building materials and it looks like trash, but when you organize each piece where it goes and fasten it together properly, it becomes a house or a temple. We must know our function. I'd stop worrying about burnout and start worrying about pouring out. Is that okay? Yes. Filled and refilled. You see Peter in Acts 2-4 filled. Of course in Acts 4-8 he's getting filled again. You see Paul in Acts 9-17 getting filled. Then in Acts 13-8-11 he's getting filled again. Apparently if you want more from the Lord you have to do something with what he's already given you. Anybody in here got saved? Oh, good Lord, I'm preaching people who are all lost. Yeah. I need to change the message. You don't know about the community of the Lord because you're in the community of hell. Anybody in here been saved? If you got saved, friends, your most basic responsibility is to see some other people saved. Amen. Isn't it? Now, I'm not going to ask you how many people you saw saved this year, but if we just said, look, in the last 12 months... You saw five people born again? I mean, who's going to run down front for that price? Saw 10 people. Saw 15. It's almost as if we have no responsibility to the community. We only care about what's happened to us. Mm. See, I don't think that you just win souls because Proverbs 11.30 says it's wise. I think you win souls because you have a responsibility to the community you're now a part of. Where would you be if you're outside the promises of God? And they are. We don't have to worry about burnout. You pour out and he pours more in. He sees a vessel that is expending itself. And so he fills it. That's what he does. We won't read it. But many of you know one of my favorite stories in the book of Judges. is Samson. It's in the 15th chapter. He just got... Finish handing the Philistine army a massive defeat using worn out donkey parts, didn't he? God likes an underdog. He does. He will take somebody from nowhere and raise them to be the ruler of the world. Samson got so thirsty after that battle. A place called the Hakor. He cried out. 
must I now die of my thirst? Somebody should have warned old Samson about burnout. Of course, God opened a hollow place in a rock, and it became a fountain for him who cried, and Samson drank, and his life returned. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. A man of God doing battle with the enemy, using worn out old donkey parts. Donkey in the Bible is almost always a man with spirit, stubborn nature. He's using what God gave him. Worn out old donkey. And he is so exhausted that there's nothing left. And that's the moment that God fills him again. Maybe we need to stop avoiding burnout. Start paying attention to the direction of flow. Is more coming into you than is going out of you? Because that's a prescription for death, friends. There's only one body of water in all of the world that works that way. More goes into the Dead Sea than goes out of it every year. And it has produced death. You want life? You're going to have to figure out how to pour out more than he'll pour in, and he'll pour in more than you could have measurably asked for. He will meet you in your sacrifice. He will not meet you in your selfishness. Oh, Jesus. When we come back, Matthew, the church would be smaller. Every time Jesus gathered a crowd, you know what he did with them? He said something incredibly offensive. <coughs> like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. So before you tell me this is a hard word, go read John 6. Let us look at 2 Kings 4. I know, it's very late. But the thing is... I bet you've stayed up later than this watching the TV program, haven't you? Oh, then what will we not do for the Word of God? Some of you should just pretend it's your latest college football game, then you'll love it. Elijah said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Why didn't he ask for full jars? Don't ask for just a few, then go inside and shut the door behind you. You and your sons pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to a side. You know how this story turns out? Every jar that they gathered that was empty was filled. If they gathered more jars, then more would have gotten filled. But they needed empty jars. You know what we need in here? Men and women who have exhausted themselves in God's service. Men and women who have poured out their all. Because then whatever you have, you will have had from God. Amen. Not from a selfish nature. Yeah. Now we... We are in a body that you could compare yourself with many that you see around you and go, man, we're doing good. Look at us. They are not the standard. As Paul says, when you measure yourself by yourselves, you are not wise. You know who the standard is? Jesus, the living embodiment of the Word. So let me ask you again, is your location set by God? Do you identify with God's people more than any other? Are you working for Him every day? Because a life like that will radiate outwards and it will change the world. I think God put a power plant inside you. A giant engine. Look at Colossians 1, the 29th verse. To this end I labor. Protecting myself against burnout. To this end I labor, struggling. Oh, brother, the work of God is peaceful. And that comes from a man who's never done the work of God. 
To this end I labor, struggling with all whose energy? His energy, which so powerfully works in me. You want to know how you win? You have to have him deposited in the center of you. In fact, the Bible describes this as something that overflows. 2 Corinthians 8 describes it in this way. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Are you kidding me? Who in here is happy to be poor? Who in here is happy to have a severe trial? They have such joy deposited in them that it is overflowing. Of course, this is the church that he called the Ecclesia of God, the Quahal of Yahweh. These are those people that had such a deposit from heaven in their spirit that it invaded their thoughts and their actions and bound them together with a heavenly unity. These are the kind that can stand in an extreme trial. I mean, you think that this administration is bad. You have no idea what it would have been to live under Nero or Domitian. And the church prospered under them, advanced under them. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything with how you treat the word in your life, in your children's life, in your family, and what relationship you have with those around you. That is everything. This is supposed to overflow from us. Could we put on the screen a different scripture? Could we close with 1 John, the first chapter, and the fifth verse? This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Keep going. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Next verse. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, what's that say? Do you mean walking with the Lord rightly? Results in fellowship with one another? Amen. The natural result of a man who has received a revelation in his inner being is that he will join in a like fashion with those that have the same revelation. If you look out and you're not pleased with some assembly that you see, they're all united around something you just don't understand. It's okay, friend. They just got some other revelation. Maybe it was the revelation of the fun church, Matthew. But when I got, got poured in from heaven on a marketing book, it caused me to get thrown out of my house, to lose every friend that I had, and to become a social pariah until God decided to do something different with me. It not only was not popular, just like the gospel says, it required me to be persecuted. And in the midst of that persecution, that being outcast, having my own loved ones look at me like I was in a cult. I found fellowship. And we made covenant. And this church is built on that. That is all we will ever preach. And we might preach it for two and a half hours. We'll preach it as long as it takes to live it. Is that fair enough? Now this is the last thing I get to tell you before I go to end and more than anything, you know what I want? You love the Lord so much that it shows up in your love for each other. 
Don't tell me that your households can come apart, but you love the Lord. It's a lie. Don't tell me you cannot like the people around you, but love the Lord. It's a lie. The more you love Him, the more you will bond with each other. There cannot be an individual in here that's an individual for the sake of just being, well, it's about me and my house, you know, me and my husband, me and my brother. Who are my mother and my brothers? They're those who do the will of God. Amen. Do you hear me? You have a responsibility to the people around you. And they have a responsibility to you. You know what the cure for heresy is? It's community. When the people of God stop accepting sin and they shun it, and they start encouraging righteousness among each other, it won't matter what a preacher says. I challenge you to look at the New Testament books and see which of them were written to pastors. The vast majority were written to the community of believers. Because when the community got right, even a pastor couldn't lead them astray. Are you hearing me? If you didn't do anything else except take your walk so seriously that you expected your brother to look carefully at your life and you looked carefully at his, I could leave for a decade and when I came back you'd be stronger than when I left. I promise that's true. This is why the scripture says you need that no man teach you. And I promise you do need people to teach you. But what it's pointing at is you have everything that you need deposited in your spirit that will radiate outward. Could we stand to our feet?